Hello, David Oakes here and welcome to Trees A Crowd. For the next three weeks, winging your way will be wise words with wonderful women inspired by wildflowers and woodlands. At the very beginning of the nationwide lockdown, I was forced to cancel a forest walk of discovery with ethnobotanist Jenny Martin. Based up in Scotland, Jenny had been recommended to me by a number of people as a fountain of floral knowledge, but it was only when speaking on the phone to her last January that we discovered that she was in fact a student of my botanist great-aunt Roz. Gotta love this small world of ours. Anyway, not able to meet up in person, I thought I'd have a quick chat with Jenny over the phone now that the lockdown is being slowly lifted and that outdoor pursuits are being actively encouraged to see if she had any suggestions for how to weather the upcoming weeks. So, this is Trees A Crowd, and this is Foraging, Fungi and Forest Bathing in Lockdown with Jenny Martin. In the depth of the forest and all the the pride of the greenwood there O'er his branches the ivy her mantle threw When the forest boughs were bare Oh, the oak and the ivy Oh, the oak and the ivy, oh My name is Jenny Martin and I'm an ethnobotanist and these days I, I work mainly in delivering courses and workshops around plant, plant identification, ethnobotany, plant uses wild food and I do an online blogging around plants to help people identify them and build a better relationship with them. Super. So I guess the big question is what's the difference between a botanist and an ethnobotanist? (laughs) Good question. Um, So an ethnobotanist, I mean I came up with some of the roots through just traditional botany of learning about plant identification, field botany I would say. and of which we have that connection through your, your yeah, aunt. My, my great aunt is your, she was your teacher for a year, I guess? She was, she was one of my first botany teachers. And actually we had, we, I would keep going back and, and, and hang out with her and doing various courses with her because she was such an inspiring, and is such an inspiring, wonderful lady and, and a good, an example of one of those, those, those really good teachers that, yeah, give, give, give a lot of kind of... It's, um, it's quite nice to it, talk to someone who has sort of started where I started so she inspired me in quite the same way that she, that she inspired you as well yeah we could do great. just an episode on her and make and then like she'd be so <laughs> upset she'd be so uh, sort of intimidated by all of us she'd be so um she's she's just so I shy I think that's the thing she's never happier than running around with labradors and picking wildflowers yeah yeah and and and, and I'm so grateful for that because uh you know she she kind of also saw in me a kind of um she she responded really well to my learning style or she just encouraged me a lot and you know and also when we were out with groups there were people who were very sort of um hardcore sort of the almost like the black and white scientists and then there's where science meets art and and so she would say to me Jenny come have a look at this it's just really beautiful (laughs) and you know and, and it was just to really enjoy the beauty of something just for the sake of the beauty of it rather than the function of it or the habitat of it and you know and I and it was just so lovely to have that connection of not not just the science of it but also just in some ways the art of it. So is that what ethnobotany is that is that where it so it leans away no. from the science into something more human? So ethnobotany actually it's it's the study so when you see ethno in front of anything it means the people people connection so so ethnobotany is actually a very, very broad subject um, and in the sense that it is how people engage with plants. And so it, it can stretch right the way from 
which is its original roots when it sort of became a, a sort of subject in of itself was a lot to do with, for instance, studying exotic tribes in faraway lands and how they use plants for ritual or food or medicine. Um, but, but, but actually, it, the, the, the subject can also include economic botany, which is how plants are used economically for um, agriculture, again, medicinally, or even, you know, um, timber for construction or paint for cars or, you know, how if, if there's any kind of plants within that. So... It's, it's a very it's a broad, broad subject church. area. Yeah. Pre pretty, pretty much, though, what I'd say is it's just more about ethnobotany is how people and plants interact and engage through ritual, through medicine, through fiber, through food, etc., etc. So is it that is it the food side of things that particularly excites you? Because I know you do bushcraft and foraging and forestry practice, if you will. Is it that is that the side of ethnobotany that you that inspires you? Actually, in many respects, the yes, I do teach a little bit. I always bring in a bit about foraging because a lot of people are interested in that. And it's been delightful to be part of this foraging fortnight event that's happening later this year in Scotland, in encouraging and supporting people to get out into nature and, and um, learn about how to forage safely and sustainably. Um, so that's been wonderful. Um, but I suppose my main area around ethnobotany is actually more about supporting nature literacy which has been a, a big passion of mine the last two years, is to encourage that greater relationship with nature um, and people so that walking through the woods becomes a dialogue rather than um, a time to sort of ruminate in, in the head and kind of shoot, think about things. And, uh, and, and, and yes, it's a nice walk, but actually a dialogue to actually notice oh, what's coming into season, what, what buds are bursting, oh, look, there's a, there's a spruce. What is a Sitka spruce? So it's not native. And, and what does that mean? And, and what, does it, what, 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 what does it give the environment, not just people? So in many respects, because I also came up through the conservation world, um, my primary focus is more about nature engagement and nature literacy, of which ethnobotany is my kind of avenue into that, if you like. Sure. Is there a particular sort of botany hero that you have? Is there someone that you've always sort of thought you were following in the footsteps of? Well, other than your aunt. <laughs> other than my aunt, of course, naturally. She is definitely one of my heroes. Recently, um, it was lovely to stumble across a botanist who spoke my language, which is um, the science of plants. Uh, so, so really grounded in the science of plants, the science of botany, habitats, conservation, but also the spirituality, if you like, of plants. And um, and that's a, a botanist in the states called Robin Wall Kimmerer, who wrote a book, who's written a book called uh, Braiding Sweetgrass and Gathering Moss. And to read her work is it's just it's, it, it, yeah if you if you're someone made of the same material as myself it's you just you feel like oh there's another one out there um hmm. in the sense that she'll talk about for instance she talks about foraging she she talks a lot about how her plant science meets her her indigenous culture and religion if you like which mm -hmm. is native american and um she talks a lot about the honorable harvest so when we harvest plants for foraging how do you do that with sustainability how do you do that with gratitude she talks a lot about how plants um the generosity of plants and that yeah there's so there's so much that sort of she covers in a language that that really resonates with kind of my own values and practice if you like so 
uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you now over the phone as opposed to doing it on the walk that we had planned, not simply that we couldn't meet up, but also I wanted you to sort of suggest some things that people might be able to do to explore nature, to enhance their well-being, as, as, as well as obviously reading that book. What are people able to do now in these lockdown situations to sort of appreciate nature a bit more, I guess, is the question. In lockdown, particularly, so we all have a we all have our walks that we, we we're going out on and enjoying, hopefully enjoying being out in nature. And I w- I would say, if you're interested in your foraging and you want to go out foraging, I would suggest I have on my website something called the SSC code, mm-hmm. which is uh, a code that will first of all just guide you into the sustainability and safety of foraging. So the SSC stands for Sustainability, Certainty and Safety. So you need to make sure you have definitely correctly identified it, that you know you can eat it. You need to, first of all, the the first thing would be is sustainability, is just to be aware that we have a population we have on the planet now because of the agricultural revolution. And we cannot sustain ourselves on just foraging food and squirrels and badgers and rabbits and and wood pigeons and and crossbills all rely on the the wild food that's out there. They can't mm-hmm. get to the supermarket. So to take it to 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 enjoy wild food as a way to connect with nature and to take with what Robin Wall Kimmerer calls the noble harvest. So mm-hmm. the honourable harvest with gratitude and and a little bit to try and to go home and and make a soup out of nettles or or to sort of roast up some. To, to get some um, hazelnuts later in the year. So I would say wild food is a lovely way to connect, but make sure it's done sustainably and safely. Um, there's lots of really good books out there. Um, uh, Mark, Mark um, at Galloway Wild Foods, has that's his specialism. He does a lot of really good stuff on, on wild food. There's Robin Halford down in England. There's Miles Irvin, who I really like. His books are really good, The Forager Handbook. Um, the River Cottage has got loads of books on wild food. So um, check your source. Check, I would check a couple of sources if you can eat it and make sure if you're in, in doubt, leave it out. Absolutely. Check your habitat as well before you forage anything. Make sure that you're not next to somewhere there where there's a runoff of some effluent or some chemicals um, or by a busy road. And also... Um, obviously dog poo and foot fat I call foot fouling so if you're picking something that's low down to the ground just be aware especially if you're in a group or a couple of people because you can't be in groups right now but if you're with your family family Mm -hmm. and you're walking over something you might have just got you might have walked with something on the bottom of your shoe that you don't really want to walk over the patch of sorrel you're about to harvest so so I call that foot fouling so so that that's a lovely way to connect with nature is is foraging um and also, there's something which has become quite popular called forest bathing, mm-hmm. which has, in many respects, many of us have been doing it. You know, we've been doing it since time immemorial. People have felt good about being outside in nature, and and we know that we don't necessarily need the science to tell us. That but it's in Japan, good for us. yeah, 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 exactly. We we all we know that, but now science, modern science, is kind of backing that up with some kind of. Um, hard facts and and out of um, out of Japan they've done some blood draws and 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 um, checking the biochemistry of what happens after you spend time outside and it is really in some ways it's very interesting to see they say within them the literature says within 16 minutes of being out in nature cortisol levels have been measured in the blood to have dropped by 15 percent wow 
Yeah, so that that's quite, uh, you know, and, and then also you've got um, heart rate dropping, you've got beta endorphins going up. And interestingly enough, you've even got your T cell counts going up, which boosts your immune system. So, so I often say to students, I mean, if, if you said to a pharmaceutical company, we've got this drug that can reduce your cortisol levels by 15% in 16 minutes, you, know, you can reduce your blood, blood, your blood pressure, increases your T cell counts. It doesn't cost anything, you know, to manufacture. We just have to look after it. It's priceless in some way. You know, people would be all over it like a rash, but it's actually just there for us as long as we look after it. And yet there's the perversity of needing all of that science to tell us that it is there for us in the first place. I know it's a bit bizarre, really, isn't it? But It's um, it's all backwards. Is there anything that you particularly... there was um, one person I was talking to who hated the fact that people were referring to swimming outside as a wild swimming. And in yeah. the same way that you're calling this a uh, uh, forestry bathing or whatever, it's it's that yeah. sort of weird sort of rebranding exercise that it's probably my generation that have come through and gone, <laughs> guys, you know what? We can go outside and sit on the grass. Um, and you're like, no, yeah. no, just just go for it. It's called going for a walk. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, what 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 people... People have made forest bathing a thing, um, and I suppose the people who have made it a thing have added layers to it where you add more mindful practices, mm-hmm. so med- meditation practices. You're a bit more conscious of your breath. You notice, you, you make a point. I, I, you know, I, I, I mean, I'm quite seduced by nature quite easily, sure. so I'll, I'll, I'll go out for a walk, and even though I might be ruminating in my head, I very quickly will see um, the, the buds bursting of, you know, like my, my first walk like we discussed earlier after in lockdown where I got to a woodlands and and the cherries, the buds of the cherry were just bursting and then you see at the bottom of the leaves, some of the leaves which the vegetative buds are already burst and you see the red glands on the on the wild cherry, the game we have here. And mm. so I'm very quickly I very quickly move into a dialogue or, or I, I I I see what's going on in nature and I love it. I just love watching you know, at the moment up here we've got the male strobuli which are the male flowers if you like of the conifers are now they're, they're now producing pollen sure. and and then you've got the, the the female flowers which the little red little beautiful little red flowers are just coming out on the pines here as well and then and then you see the next stage of of cones as they develop but but for some for some it's kind of people will walk in the woods and they're that they'll maybe might need a little bit of help in coming out of that ruminating mind thinking about how their mother-in-law is doing or what's happening with their mortgage and so they might need some exercises like breathe deeply and notice five things listen to five things touch five things you know taste five things if it's safe to do they need to turn off the inside noise to hear the outside noise yeah yeah and 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 actually i had started i was very um, i I don't like the rebranding to a degree at all because the other side of it is that the rebranding of it makes it become this thing and then all of a sudden do you need to be qualified to guide these things? And 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 no, not, no, you don't. It's um, just be sensible and and go out and enjoy nature. But if it helps to have a guided experience where somebody is helping you slow down to notice more and to have a dialogue more with something outside of yourself, then that your can head. only be a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So on your website, one of the other things you say that you're particularly interested in ethnomycology. So is it the fungus that particularly tickles your fancy as opposed to everything else? If if I could um, duplicate myself to study many, many things, one of them would also be. um, Yeah, when I did my master's, I focused on 
Scotland and looking at are we a mycophobic, mycophilic, and I decided we're just mycosensible culture. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, fungi, they're, they're, they've become much more popular now over mm-hmm. the last few years, but, um, which is great, and a lot to do with the work of Paul Stamets in the States has really thrusted that forward into the public realm. Um, but uh, often you'll see in museums, I think it's starting to change when they're talking about the evolution of life on planet on the planet they talk about plants coming out of the ocean you know from seaweeds evolving seaweeds but where where, there's not mushrooms aren't in there anywhere fungi aren't in there anywhere and we know that we now know through modern western science is that um we know that 80 percent of the plants on the planet would not exist without a symbiotic relationship with fungi and not only that fungi um, I believe, I think they're, they're the only organism that can break down lignin, which is wood, mm-hmm. which is the, the kind of product in wood, which therefore by breaking it down, you create a substrate, i.e. soil, for other plants to grow. And that doesn't even, I mean, they glow in the dark, they give us medicines, they they also use for ritual for, for indigenous cultures and, and um, non-indigenous cultures, if you're interested in traveling to different worlds in a kind of psychedelic way they're using looking at psychedelics now i believe or um helping with depression though it's not my thing but um they've got the secrets to many questions for you and others yeah and how they communicate with each other um they're they're just quite extraordinary and some of them are super delicious and some of them are super poisonous so yeah ethnomycology and how humans are related to fungi or um it's just a fascinating area of subject it it is fascinating i was reading something the other day that was suggesting that mycorrhizal uh, fungal systems um can transmit uh, electric pulses as quick as nerve tissue can in humans and that hypothetically therefore you could rebuild a human brain out of mushrooms which obviously is a long way into science fiction but the amount of information that they're able to pass from one section of of uh, the underworld to another is is quite incredible yeah yeah i mean we we this, this is this is the whole kind of nature literacy aspect of uh we have come from a very sort of arrogant human-centered perspective of how bright we are uh without actually realizing that maybe we need to shift our paradigm and looking at what what is intelligence and there are other creatures that uh, and organisms that have huge um intelligence and we just need to sort of listen and, and look and observe a bit more and have maybe a bit more humility to sort of open up the opportunity to sort of see what that might be and learn from it. And that's incredible. I mean, learn, yeah, I mean, I have heard about the communication networks, if you like, with mycelium, but I didn't know about making a new brain cell. No, that's probably it. a few two steps away. One, one question before I let you go. Um, if there was one particular kind of fungus that you might find in your foraging uh, fortnight what would it be why would it be and what does it taste like oh well everyone goes for the porcini the betula sedulus which is the king with in the states they call it the king belite and it, it's the porcini is it's and it is it's delicious and it and it and it it's allegedly got b12 in it so that's what you know um is often lacking in a vegan diet because it's often found in meat um so it does it's, it's got that umami flavor but is that what you would go for? I do, but I I try to. I have a policy that I don't. I I try to. If I see that the first one I see, I leave. Second one I see, I leave. The third one I start getting a bit itchy, and I really <laughs> want to 
really want to pick it. And so it's the third or the fourth that I will take. And then I usually dehydrate it and um, make it into a risotto or something like that. So the, the King Belite, uh, we have chanterelles, which are delicious. And I'm actually growing. I'm actually this year in lockdown, just before lockdown, I bought some fungal spores and I've been inoculating some beech woodland, beech wood that I have here. So I'm actually having a go at growing some mushrooms this year. So How's it going? Tacky. Well, the logs are just sitting there in a sort of damp, dark space, kind of like um, hopefully with the mycelium creeping through through them right now. I don't know if anything's going to happen. Apparently, I need to I need to shock them. And, and so I need to um, fill up a bucket of really cold water and plunge them into cold water to sort of get the organism a bit stressed. Like any organism, when they're stressed, they usually multiply. Sure. So I, I need to kind of try and do that with these fungal logs. So uh, you'll have to ask me in autumn, but... Um, but yes, when we do our foraging fortnight in the autumn, all the fungi will be out. And there's fascinating ones out there. Ink cap that uh, um, I once it used to be used actually for ink. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also actually ink cap gives us antibuse, which is the medicine that uh, our people who are, have have been suffering with alcoholism often take in the mornings. Because if you mix ink cap with alcohol, you're very sick. So, yeah, the amount of medicines we get from fungi as well is just extraordinary. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that later in the year where we can hopefully all get out and start looking at the mushrooms in the woods. Yeah. Super. Fantastic. How, uh, how about you? What, what's your favorite mushroom? Oh, I don't know. Mushrooms are a whole new world to me. I, I've sort of, I'm still sort of in just sort of the picking the obvious berries <laughs> and maybe the occasional leaf. But mushroom-wise... I don't know. I've I've still sort of had a sort of a sort of an obsession with toadstools more than anything else. It's more about appreciating the colours and the weird shapes that sort of come out of the ground rather than rather than actually picking to eat. There was um, God, how long was it? I guess it must have been back in October of last year. Suddenly, everywhere I was going, I was walking around Bushy Park and around Crystal Palace Park. There was just the fungus everywhere. And yeah. I, I hadn't quite, and it wasn't, it wasn't the whole sort of lockdown. Oh my God, nature's everywhere. It's coming back. It was during normal life. Everything was busy, but just, it was having a particularly good year, whether it was because it was a, a particularly hot summer and a particularly wet yeah. autumn, but it was just, you couldn't walk anywhere without seeing something. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's, I think it's, it's Roy Watling was the, it's used to be mycologist at um, Edinburgh Botanics and he was hypothesizing because all mycologists kind of what, what makes a really good mushroom season and potentially, potentially, and I don't know if this is Roy's hypothesis. I can't remember, but when it, when it's a really dry summer and it makes sense if you, if it's really dry, the mycelium underground um, can get quite stressed because it can crack if there's not, if not, 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 not enough moisture is keeping it supple. And therefore, as soon as it gets wet, again, the stressed organism wants to reproduce and it can reproduce by the mycelium multiplying, but if it's stressed and and is thinking it's not going to be able to do it by the mycelium kind of growing, then it'll shoot up that fruiting body, as it were, which is the toadstool that you see. Um, that's why often when people go foraging, looking for mushrooms, and people think if I disappear deep into the woods, I might find that secret hoard. Mm. Actually, often where next to paths, where the path's been compressed, the the soil has been compressed because of the weight of the path. And the mycelium's creeping along the ground, and then it hits this compressed area of soil, um, which is difficult to get through. So it can't it pops multiply up onto the surface. Yeah, so it pops up, and therefore you see 
um, the, the treating bodies along the path. But um, but I agree with you, it's not just about eating them, it's just about the awe and wonder and beauty of them as well. And um, and, and for me particularly, I, that, that ethnomycology, I, in our culture, one mushroom is, for instance, considered highly toxic. Uh, there's a mushroom we have here, which is up around now, the, the turban fungus. Mm-hmm. which is called Gyromitra esculenta. And uh, in all the books, it's got four crosses or three crosses. It's very toxic. But the word esculenta, the, the scientific epithet esculenta, implies it's edible. And then when you look into the ethnomycology of it and other cultures and how other cultures, they know how to process it where it becomes edible. Now, I would say please be very, very, very careful with it because it does contain gyromitrum, which is the same chemical as rocket fuel. Okay. So if you process it wrong, you get it badly wrong. But in, in other cultures, it's like us. I mean, we, we wouldn't eat raw chicken. We've been brought up to know you have, have to, to cook chicken. It. Yeah. So it's all about traditional knowledge. So what's lovely about ethnobotany and ethnomycology is humans are part of the picture and part of the story and the transmission of knowledge around plants it, it's all in the mix so it's just a lovely way to sort of like throw nature into a big pot and just stir it around and have fun with it and, and enjoy it it's like with um sea urchins when you see them on the menu in sushi restaurants or whatever you you yeah. have that question you go like who was the first person or the first person to survive eating it who went oh no you've got to peel it this way or no you've got to boil it that way but not too much otherwise it explodes like there's, yeah. there's got to be someone who did it first who must have either been reckless or very, very, very hungry. Yeah, and, and cu- but, but also curious. When you, think, when you think how much we, right, how we fill up our time now, we have, we have so many ways to fill up our time and most of it, um, sadly, in some ways, comes through a kind of screen which is backlit by electricity. And whereas, whereas years ago, before there was that, we, we, we're such curious beings. That we look at this and we go, hmm. What does this look? What does it taste like? And you know, you try a little bit and notice. Does it have a tingling on the tongue? Leave it for a few days. Do you have any negative sensations? And and um, yeah, but people were either very hungry and and I would say curious as mm. well. And 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 also, I mean, this is one of the in some ways one of the really um, misconceptions of a, a sort of measure for safety around wild food as well, which you see in old Victorian books around foraging, is that if you see another animal eat it then it must be safe. And, um, that's not necessarily I, uh, true. No, I've seen slugs on death cap and that's, I don't have a... You know, so. <laughs> I neither want to eat a slug like a slug or a death cap, so I'll keep well away from all of that. Exactly, exactly. So, um, well, here's hoping there have been many curious souls in lockdown having many accidental discoveries that can advance human understanding of what it is to be human in its relationship with nature. That can only be a good thing, hopefully. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. Super. Jenny, that's been fantastic. Thank you very much indeed for your time. And hopefully I'll be able to get up to Scotland and see you very, very soon, as soon as both the English and Scottish and hopefully the United Kingdom's lockdowns have have finished. Yes, likewise. That'd be lovely. And um, yeah, thanks for your time too. It's great to chat. Yeah, we'll keep in touch. We keep in touch about when when we can can get out into the world together. Indeed, definitely. And hopefully we can get Ros to come out with us as well. That'd be really special. That'd be so lovely. I was actually going to mention, I didn't get to mention my favourite. I was going to mention one of the plants she showed me that has always stuck with me. Uh-huh. But maybe maybe we'll save that. For no, her. tell me. You can't do that. You can't drop something <laughs> like that and not tell me. What, 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 right, what's so, the, what's the favourite plant from Roz to you? Okay, so while everyone's in lockdown, it's lovely to pass this on. If you, if you head out, there, there's a plant called Common Stalk Spell. 
So it's in the geranium family and it's quite a common, well, it's very common up here and I think it is common UKY. And it's, it's got a very little, it's got a very pretty little pink, pinky purple flower. But what I love about it is once it goes to seed, the seed, the seed is, is very tiny, but um, to, it's not a big showy flower and a big showy plant. But the seed is got, once it dries, it actually, the dispersal is quite fascinating. It's got, the seed's got like a beak, which kind of like a column. And what it does is it's, when it springs open, it, the column, there's five capsules within, within, there's five seeds within the capsule. And then once it springs open, the, it's called an awn. The awn that's connected to the seed, actually, once it starts, becoming moist again it starts twisting you know like um it starts kind of coiling around Mm -hmm. and what that coiling does is it helps drive screw drive the seed into the soil so it's it is a a fascinating way to sort of ensure Ensure that it gets deep enough and gets contact with the earth it literally screws itself down and that's amazing it's absolutely fascinating if you what you can do is when I show students that I always think of Roz because I think of a lineage of, of transmission of knowledge you know her sharing that with me and me sharing it now with my students mm. and and, um, and hopefully them on because often I'm teaching teachers so them then sharing it with their students because if, if you actually find the, the seed of the crane spell and um, hold it in your hand it's, it's dry enough and break it open so you break op- open the capsule so you've got the five different um, seeds connected to the awn mm-hmm. it needs to be connected to the awn and you hold it in your hand it's a bit like those chinese um fish that you get in is it dim sum or something you sure. know where, where it, it starts curling it with it with the moisture of your hand oh um, like like the little red fish used to get in uh, christmas yeah. crackers yeah 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 the fortune telling yeah, it starts curling around, so it starts corkscrewing because it's actually trying to corkscrew the seed into your hand or <laughs> just into the soil. I mean, it, it's just, and these are the, these are the details that I just so divine to sort of Pass observe, on. shout for, and be in awe of all mm. these different kind of techniques for success or succession. So yeah, anyway, so I got to talk about it. Crane film. <laughs> wonderful. Well, that's brilliant. What a wonderful thing to yeah. end on. Thank you very much, Jenny. I look forward to seeing you very, very, very soon. Thank you, Jenny. As we said, hopefully we'll be bringing you a second interview with Jenny in the future once we're able to meet up in person for a walk in the woods. As I said at the beginning of this episode, this is the first of three episodes focused on wildflowers. Next week, I'll be bringing you an episode with Rosalind Forbes-Adam of the Woodmeadow Trust. It was recorded last summer, so it will be walking and talking with birdsong in the air and grass underfoot. In fact, I think we got rained on too. In the meantime, the website has information on everything discussed in this and past episodes, so please do take a look at treesacrowd.fm and please leave us a review if you have the time. Thanks again very much for listening. All the very best to you and to yours, and bye-bye for now. Oh, the oak and the ivy Oh, the oak and the 